You found it. It's the Japan What Podcast, coming at you out of the back end of Tokyo. The Armpit of Asia. Shinjuku, Shinjuku-ku, in the Toshihisa Cho Studios. My name is Matthew, pmbigelow.com. That's also where you can conveniently go and get more information about this show. Check out the photo carousels. Make a Bitcoin donation with Podcasting 2.0 compliant apps, why don't you? And I am having what you are having. Ooh, that's loud. I think I got the new gear working out today. Ah, and I'm having what you're having, and you have perfect, perfect selection of beverages, dear listener. Mr. or Mrs. Listener, it's you making the choice. You. And you made a good choice. Remember that. You always do. I'm kind of jealous. I've been trying to get uh, more more features onto the podcasting 2.0 compliant apps. I'm using Podverse most of the time. Uh, but my uh, podcasting provider, the website, everybody knows Squarespace. I uh, asked them about them. Do you uh, provide a way for me to upload the automatic translation or transcription services, you know, for disabled people or non-native English speakers who want to listen to podcasts in English but, you know, can't keep up with the speed unless they're reading? There's a lot of those types. Um, and they said no. <laughs> so I'm trying to try to pressure Squarespace into uh, opening up their 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 diversity and equity uh, parameters and, uh, and be nice about it. Uh, we'll see what happens. So I want if anybody can go onto their Twitter account and um, or, or message Squarespace in some way and say, hey, we want more podcasting 2.0 features. Uh, from your content. We want automatic transcriptions. We we want chapters. We want JSON, J-S-O-N. Just say those words, mention them a few times. Maybe they'll start responding because, um, you know, last week I was covering some of the issues with the banking crisis. It didn't really go into a major crisis. I didn't think it would, but it was kind of, there was rumblings about it. So I thought I would give some background or information. Uh, go check out last week's episode uh, of the Japan Web Podcast for that, MatthewPMBigelow.com. Um, but I was thinking, like, um, well, if uh, if the Shiznat really does hit the Anfe, uh, having, like, these um, resiliency backups for creators, you know, where they might be able to, uh, you know, access markets within people who are who are looking at transcripts who might be able to click on links and stuff like that might be a backup plan probably nowhere near as good as like the amazing marketplace of websites and apps on the phone for Instagram and all that but is that really a long-term strategy or or some resiliency uh, not a bad idea it's like having uh, two weeks of food in the house you don't you don't want to be one of those people who builds a bunker and then stores nine years of food you know it's it's, it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of time people do it and i understand if you're in west virginia and you're an ex-military dude and a farmer and you know some people and you start you know going i don't know about the government and we gotta you know and i get it i totally do i would be with you to be honest it sounds like a really good time um but you know in tokyo you know where i am in japan the japan web podcast doesn't really go down that route so there we are 
today. Um, I hope everyone's doing okay, doing fine. The Sakura season is still holding on. We still got still got some of those final clingers that 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 blow out in the wind. And you, if you're fortunate enough to just be walking down the street or through a park, and and, and a gust of wind comes and, and you're underneath a cherry blossom tree, and all the cherry blossoms rain down on you. Or you know, I was with my kid and. He saw the cherry blossoms falling like snow, and he was so happy. That's great. I also remember just going out and getting plastered with my friends in cherry blossom season, and you'd be, you'd have like a craft beer outside, and then the cherry blossom petals would be falling into the beer, and you're looking down, and somebody's giving you like a, like a, a delicious piece of food, like some grilled pork with a little ginger on it. And they're like, this will go great with that beer. And you're like, well, thank you. And then all the cherry blossoms are like, we love you. All that's great. So if you're fortunate enough to experience that, well, then consider yourselves one of the lucky ones. We're going to begin the podcast in earnest today from right now by, of course, reading the hate read of the week, which is a Sora News 24, a new product. Luckily, it's not too long, but it's... um insanely stupid and it's deserving of our um of our hate read uh we don't like sora news 24 on the japan what podcast but we can't help reading them and this comes to us via japantoday.com new products have a good night's sleep with goose spy probably goosey but there's the spy in there and it's like a modern day you know, probably spyware Tokyo, having trouble sleeping? Typically, it takes about 15 to 20 minutes for most adults to fall asleep. Anything shorter might indicate you're sleep-deprived, and anything longer than 45 minutes could mean you might have underlying health conditions. Yes, it could mean you might have underlying... Good night, sleep. Uh, good night, Goosby, or Oyasumi Goosby. What is Goosby? Is a doll that comes with two breathing rhythms, one for relaxing and the other to help you sleep. It comes with a 20 minute timer and a washable antibacterial fabric. The new model is now lighter and smaller than the previous model, making it perfect for kids to use. Charging takes about three hours, and the device can be used for up to two hours. Priced at 11,000 yen or $100, available online and in store. So um, there you go. It's like a it's like a baby, faceless baby seal dog that you hold and it breathes on you. Um, this is, of course, for all of the lonely single people out there who live in a tiny apartment and work insanely long hours at their offices. And they come home and they watch television about people in offices with insanely long work hours and then catch some NHK news and want to fall asleep on their on their tatami mat or on their western bed in their one-room apartment. And uh, they, they feel so lonely and then they reach for this dumb toy and they say, my life thus far has been worth it. Thank you, Goosby. Thank you indeed. Um, let's take a look now. We're going to actually go into um, Japan Society 5.0. Japan Society 5.0 is a government initiative, and I used to work with people in the telecom industry who were part of this, and they are 
pretty gung-ho and there's like this idea that, you know, to test the waters of the connected city and the do-do-do with the IoT and the AI. Maybe Japan can work with Thailand and, and do some kind of sandboxing and stuff like this. And this um, this song, this well, I'm not sure if it's a song, this promo thing that the Japan government put together is called Japan Society 5.0. And the reason I play it is because uh, it's very well done and you don't do this sort of thing unless you're serious about it. So let's just listen to Japan Society 5.0. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. Fourth Industrial Revolution is Klaus Schwab speak. He wrote a book called The Fourth Industrial Revolution, and he is, of course, the founder of the World Economic Forum. So Japan is big into Klaus Schwab. One of the ideas that um, IoT is about... Um, Tesla does this with IoT. Tesla cars are basically edge computers, IoT devices that communicate their information back to um, a centralized AI hub. And the computers on the Teslas themselves are neural network supercomputers, um, amazing devices. And the idea behind uh, IoT and, and the AI internet world is that the edge things on the edge communicate very important but condensed amounts of data back to a central database, and then that database feeds it back to you, and then you can extrapolate that in, in terms of um, you know information, which is always low low tech um, low bandwidth video. Um, if it's done with pixels and, and condensed with compression, you can you know take vast amounts of data and video isolate the tiny bit you want and then have it sent back to you, um, eliminating the need to transfer massive amounts of files. Audio is a similar way, but a lot of these large language models that we're seeing, chat GPT, is also this fundamental IoT AI system where, you know, it's, it's, it's a massive computer somewhere and we access it with our phones and then it gives us what we want based on our prompts or our inputs. Now, I studied uh, AI for five years at the telecom company that I worked at in Japan um, as uh, somebody who was told to research AI and teach it to people who are trying trying to make AI products. And this company invested $100 billion into the AI field, lost most of it because it's really hard to monetize. And that's because, in my opinion, there are two um, worldviews for artificial intelligence. One is the Hollywood American view, and the other one is the Chinese manufacturing view. Now, when you talk to Chinese people who are mainland China people who haven't, you know, spent a lot of time in America, and when you talk to Americans or Western people and Japanese people about AI, is fundamentally different. The impact of things like science fiction movies of the 1950s, SF comics, SF novels, all of these things mean that most Western people understand AI in terms of a robot that's going to be your friend or some psychological thing that's going to help you or artificial general intelligence where the, it will, this AI will take over the world. And most of the news media that I see about AI from the Western perspective is just about, it's like psychological trash. It's really garbage. And every time I try to um, access that, I kind of go, 
you're, this is not the way AI is supposed to be used. Um, I became very familiar with AI in part thanks to um, the Sinovation Ventures um, founder, Kai-Fu Lee, who wrote a book, AI Superpowers, China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order. <laughs> it's like, be careful with those words. You might trigger the conspiracy theorists. And then people even listen and go, New World Order, that's a conspiracy theory. But this is a guy who was the like, head of Microsoft Research um, China or Asia or something like that. A major investor uh, into AI and technology fields, Kai-Fu Lee, huge in China, massive in China, super popular, super success story. He's a fantastic communicator and he spent a lot of time in America growing up, but he fundamentally understands that um, manufacturing AI is the way forward. And in this book, AI Superpowers, he talks about how lots of startups in China and Beijing use AI as like a, a segment of their business platform, like, um, uh, you know, finding the right traffic routes or something like that um, to deliver food to people. Um, certain parts of Beijing have rich people, poor people, and they're all separated. And then they work at different times and order different things. And then AI can optimize um, delivery workforces to go to certain areas and, and prepare to deliver things. Then you don't have a, a wait time for your delivery. You, you get the deliveries out to those neighborhoods faster and faster. So humans are still doing most of the work. And then um, these scooters that they have, they're electric. They run out of battery power, so they set up battery power stations. So the idea is to outlay or construct um, digital infrastructure with AI capabilities in tandem with physical in infrastructure that meets the demand of the business. And these two things work together, and then you know you don't have like this crazy amount of people thinking about AI as some sort of enemy or friend, but you, you have a, a very focused group of business entrepreneurs thinking about AI in terms of optimizing efficiency and removing unnecessary steps um, within a company. Um, you might think like you're having somebody take orders on the phone. Well, if a few people call in sick, you're going to have one person taking all the calls. You're not going to have the orders go out quick enough. But if everything is done through an automated app, like an Amazon type of thing, you don't those those worries as a business go away. Now you don't have to have managers training those people only for them to quit later. Uh, instead, those managers can focus on things like user experience, design, da 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 da. da. It goes on and on and on and on and on. And so when all these people are looking at chat GPT as like some sort of out of control um, embryo of artificial general intelligence and they say, chat GPT, how can I better my brand? And they say, you might want to invest in social media companies. And everyone says, whoa, look at this chat GPT telling me to invest in social media. It really knows. But that's actually stupid advice that anybody could tell you. Even an eight-year-old could tell you that. Um but when you look at the fact that this book, uh, Chinese uh, AI Superpowers, it outlays or it describes various levels of business models according to how AI can be used. Um, and when you have things like I said, somebody picking up the phone to take an order, that job gets automated. Um, so that person's job is done. But from a manager's point of view, the AI becomes like... Um, 
a central part of their organization, but that manager still interacts with a lot of people face to face. So instead of going into a room and trying to train a bunch of people how to use a phone, the manager is now looking at orders and times and and how to send people out to places to fulfill those orders, something like that, while engaging in their managerial operations and maybe meeting with design teams to make the scooters look better or something like that. Um, it's very it's a fundamental difference. And it it the reason why is because China banned everything and they're like the Maoist rule. There was no science fiction, super Star Wars movies. Most Chinese people don't even know who the Beatles are. That's how controlled their society was in this time. So now that finally AI and the digital world and marketplaces are catching up or have surpassed a lot of places in the world in China because of their manufacturing capabilities, they don't see AI through the cultural backdrop lens that the West has as people who, including Japan, as robots that we're going to connect to the internet and they're going to be our friends. I'm sure that there are some Chinese people who say like, you are fuck robot, you are suck, suck a robot, Tina, then I get you a robot while you suck good, 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 good. You can find that. I'm sure you can. But the vast majority, the the cultural landscape out there is how to make things faster, how to get them out quicker, how to beat the competition, and how to take over the competition. That's kind of the landscape. And uh, I used to teach a lot of Chinese engineers at the telecom company because it was a pretty open place for anyone with abilities to come in and, and do their thing. And that's what I really did notice. When I tried to raise these science fiction topics with the Chinese people, they looked at me like I was speaking to them in Greek. They had, they were like, what are you talking about? It's a tool to make things faster and make more money. That's it. Like, well, what about the workers? Who cares about the workers? We want the money. <laughs> And when he talked to them, like, don't you want an artificial robot friend? And they're like, what are you talking about? That doesn't make me money. And the same thing exists with American people where you're like, well, we're going to make this factory and it's going to use AI. And like, what? The factory is going to start making its own products automatically. And then what happens then? It'll start building tanks, won't it? It's gonna it's gonna start building jets. You you build a drone and it starts building bomb drones. We're gonna be screwed. That thing's gonna take over the world. It's like this immediate leap way back into the cultural boundaries of which they came. And you're like trying to say to them, no, 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 no. The car is not a horseless carriage. The train is not an iron horse. It's something different completely. And you have to remove your cultural backdrop. You have to scoop it out of your brain and throw it into the garbage to understand what's going on here. Now, with that as my preamble, um, you know, with this podcast, I end up using a lot of Japanese source materials for the news. And then I use, um, as part of that, a machine translation software to get the Japanese into English. You know, I can I can read it generally and kind of get an idea, but there's always like new specific vocabulary or you're, you're involved in some, you know, niche uh, news field and then a whole bunch of new vocabulary comes up where you're just not used to the pronunciation of certain kanji components. And, you know, maybe it's been a few years since I really did study kanji. So it's like, you kind of recognize the symbols, but because you don't go around saying all these things, you just don't want to try it. So you go into this machine translation stuff and it comes back generally okay, um, but not that great. 
but I was with ChatGPT and now thinking about how I'm not asking ChatGPT as like some future predictor. I'm asking it to correct translations. Now, translation correction is a skill. It's well-defined. Um, and there's not a lot of innovation going on. It's all mostly established. So ChatGPT, if it's better than the Google Translate, it could, it could access the data that it has in its large language model and you know, look at news articles and look at writing theories and and make suggestions, and that's what it did. So I'm gonna I produced this segment that involves um, um, me interacting with ChatGPT, and what I did is I exerted it because it you know just reading off of a screen is kind of boring. So I want to just kind of this is what I did as a summary. And again, the AI didn't do all this. This is me producing a podcast segment using AI as part of the stack in, 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 in compliance with the AI superpowers by Kai-Fu Lee, uh, China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order. Look how that's going. China's eating our lunch. More on that later. And this is kind of how it goes. So I say to ChatGPT, ChatGPT, I used a free translation service to translate a news article from Japanese to English, but some of the sentences had issues. If I provide the English material, can you correct the errors? And ChatGPT responds with... Of course, I'll do my best to help you correct any errors you may have encountered. And then I say, okay, great. Well, here is section one. Um, and this is me, this is the machine translation software, and this is about wearing masks, and it's a survey from uh, one of the major news services in Japan. I think it's Mainichi or Yomiri. Commentary. Two weeks after wearing a mask, individual judgment. Any change? The rule of corona misfortune. Continue or abolish? The result of the questionnaire. Now, if you are listening, you kind of get a gist, but you obviously know that that's not great. So this is what ChatGPT um, suggested instead. Here is my suggested corrected version. Commentary. Two weeks after the shift to individual judgment on wearing masks, any changes? Should we continue or abolish the rule of COVID-19 misfortune? Results of a recent survey. That sounds a lot better. You probably aren't listening to the exact changes, but I have more on that later. Then I said, okay, thanks. There's more to this survey. And this is how it continues. Um, among the things that have become established due to the coronavirus, this is the machine translation software. The one that many people said they didn't want to continue was silent food. 60.5% of people answered that they do not want to continue. 39.5% want to continue. After all, it is understandable that many people say, if I go to the trouble of eating, I want to eat while having a fun conversation. On the other hand, the opinion was divided about the acrylic board of the restaurant. So, again, you're going to get the feeling, but it's kind of like, hmm, what's kind of going on there? Uh, but then ChatGPT comes back with its corrections. Here is my suggested translation of the additional survey results. According to the survey, among the various practices that have become commonplace due to the coronavirus, silent eating was the one that many people did not want to continue, with 60.5% of respondents answering that they did not want it to continue, while 39.5% wanted it to continue. 
It is understandable that many people would prefer to have a pleasant conversation while enjoying their meal. However, opinions were divided regarding the use of acrylic boards in restaurants. The acrylic board is the plastic divider board that goes up between things. So that's also pretty good. And then I say, okay, so this this is a summary of the of the exchange between me and ChatGPT. And then, you know, it's making minor changes. So I said, okay, can you make a, a the list of changes that you made concise with the following pattern? In sentence one, I changed XXX to YYY, for example. Um, and it comes back immediately with the list of changes. Here they are. Sure. Here's a more concise list of changes with the requested pattern. In the first sentence, I changed corona misfortune to coronavirus pandemic. In the second sentence, I changed decision to judgment. In the third sentence, I changed thinking is divided as to whether to opinions are divided on. And it goes on and on. So this is just kind of a summary of of that. So even though it's a computer voice, and I don't like the real human-sounding computer voices. They sound like trickery. It's like, hi, my name is Jason, and I am a AI reader. It, it, it doesn't, I'd rather have the computer voice that's a bit more fluent than somebody trying to trick me. Um, and this is a Google voice. So the, there we go. This is not done, though. So I say to ChatGPT, based on all of this, please write a 14-line rhyming sonnet in iambic pentameter that's the shakespearean way of talking based on the changes you made to the japanese to english translation and the writer is drunk and angry and immediately chat gpt comes to me with a 14 line rhyming sonnet with emphatic quotations that it had made to make it drunker and angrier. And it, this is the, the sonnet. The translation's done, a sloppy disgrace. My eyes ablaze, I fumed with anger and hate. I tore apart the words, the grammar, the pace, and fixed the errors with a rage that can't abate. I swapped individual judgment with damn personal, and many people said to the crowd voiced loud, no more damn vagueness, now sharp as a chisel. I made it crystal with no chance to be bowed. Silent food now screams, eating without a word, an acrylic board as plastic screen of fear. I've made these damn changes with a sense of revolt. For translations that lack sense, I shed no tear. No more damn slipshod work to ever be seen with my fixes. I feel like a goddamn queen. And that's ChatGPT, everybody. The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0 a technology-based, human-centered society. The fourth industrial revolution will raise our standard of living and solve various challenges we face. It will, for example, free us... Have you ever considered donating? 
to the Japan Whip podcast? Of course not. But why not? Why not go to MatthewPMBigelow.com, send us some traffic, check out the photos, and we have a photo carousel of the, uh, of the related content of the show, as well as show links for you to explore. You can also, on the Podcasting 2.0 compliant apps, send us some Bitcoin. We're stacking sats and we need your help. Connect your Bitcoin wallet and support your favorite podcasters with Satoshis. The future is inevitably going to be very strange. Perhaps having a little Bitcoin in your pocket wouldn't be a bad idea in spreading the love with us at MatthewPMBigelow.com, the Japan What Podcast. Harass Squarespace. Tell them to get on the uh, translations and whatever. You can also send PayPal donations at paypal.me forward slash Japan W-U-T. That's paypal.me forward slash Japan W-U-T. Pitch in. Help out. Mm, Why not? It's all just content. Moving forward, where else are you going to get this type of content? Anywhere else you've ever heard in your life? Probably not. Spread us some love. Let's move on to a, a very um, hesitant and careful... Stupid Gadget of the Week. Stupid Gadget. S-G-O-T-W. This came up on a Twitter video, and I'll be embedding it on the website, MatthewPMBigelow.com, if you're interested in seeing it. And this is, now, this is an alleged um, person. It's an alleged criminal, someone who's done an alleged crime. So I want to say that this stupid Gaijin of the Week segment is not directed at this person for his alleged crime or anything like that. That's not what I'm suggesting. But the actions that he took when he... Um, was escorted into a building um, underneath some sort of security supervision. And this is a quote. A Chinese man believed to be the mastermind behind the robbery in which a woman in her 60s was attacked in her home in Sumida Ward, Tokyo, has been arrested. Okay, so, you know, attacking somebody allegedly, that could be a stupid gaijin of the week, but we don't know if that's what happened, so we cannot say that. But... This guy is being led outside of a car and he turns back to the Japanese cameras and he flips them the bird. He gives them a giant middle finger. <laughs> that is probably not what you want. And the translation says um, on the T-shirt that he's wearing is, quote, Assassin Company Union, end quote. So he gets out of the car, he turns around giant middle finger towards the screen. This will be up on the website, MatthewPMBigelow.com. And I'm not saying that he is a criminal. All I'm saying that if you're being arraigned or taken in, the last thing you want to do in Japan is turn around after being uh, accused of committing a serious crime and sticking up your middle finger and staring down somebody in the crowd behind you who has a camera on you. That makes him this week's Stupid Gadget of the Week. Stupid Gadget, S-G-O-T-W. Let's take a look next at bugs. I'm going to eat all the bugs. Okay, you're just going to eat them one at a time, though, okay? Okay. 
All right. Again, this is more um, more eating the bugs. I didn't think it was going to be a big thing in Japan, but when I started looking at it, it came up everywhere. So this comes to us from uh, a newspaper called hokoku.co.jp. And this says, I use ChatGP to translate this, so hopefully it doesn't sound like an insane uh, person and high on drugs. Silkworm pupa kaiko dumplings created by Izumi Gaoka High School students. Sorry, four two-year students at Izumi Gaoka High School created a kaiko dumplings using silkworm pupa in an effort to promote entomophagy or insect eating. The dumplings are characterized by a wild and rustic taste. They will be sold for a limited time of two months, starting from the 29th at Gyoza no Kondor in Nishi Kanazawa Gochome Kanazawa City. Teppe Maruyama, Yui Karaki, Taku Taranishi, and Satoshi Sakaguchi created the dumplings with the intention of providing high-quality protein without leaning too heavily towards meat consumption. They based the dumplings on a paste made of silkworm pupa and pork, adjusting the flavor with leeks and ginger. I don't want to eat the bugs. The fourth industrial revolution can oh, giant I suck a dick. I'm going to eat them one at a time, though, okay? Okay. I got one. I got one. I'm going to go catch that one. We'll finish the one that you have in your mouth first. It's time for some economy news. Go, go, go. Bear meat vending machine proves popular in North Japan City. This comes to us from the Mainichi. I'll be posting a picture of the bear meat vending machine at MatthewPMiglo.com with a link to the article. From kimchi to insects, Japan's love affair with vending machines continues. And at a Shinkansen station, one machine is gaining popularity for another unusual offering, bear meat. The vending machine is installed near the entrance to Tazawakoichi local product shop near JR Tazawako Station, where the Akita Shinkansen and other train stops. The meat of the locally captured wild bears is mainly purchased by bullet train passengers, and there have been apparently also been inquiries from people in the Kanto region around Tokyo who want to buy it by mail order. The machine displays pictures of lean and fatty meat with a sign saying open 24 hours. Black bear, bear meat, and 2200 yen. About 17 bucks for 250 grams. The bears are captured in the mountains of the city by members of of a local hunting club and processed at a slaughterhouse. The vending machine was installed in November 22 by the people associated with the restaurant Soba Goro, located in the Tazawakoichi shop in a bid to make locally produced bear meat a souvenir from Akita Prefecture. I'd eat it. Bear meat. Um, Canadian bear meat, iffy. Liver is apparently a big thing. Uh, but a lot of the bears in Canada eat a lot of garbage, so they taste like garbage. All right, let's move on with the economy. Um, I wanted to... Yeah, this goes back to... Um, Last week's idea of the, the banking crisis, and I, I believe there is a banking crisis. Uh, Credit Suisse was bought out. We had the social, social, the, the social warrior. No, sorry, the Silicon Valley Bank uh, bought out. 
or failed or whatever. There's a lot of insolvency happening. And then, uh, you know, the we don't really hear much about it. The silence, as they say, is deafening. Are we, uh, are we sort of News 24 now? Is that what's going on? But um, one thing that's happening that I want to discuss is the de-dollarization. If you are in a country like a G7 nation, um, we all are tied to the dollar. Japan is tied to the dollar. Uh, Canada is tied to the dollar. We are traditionally tied to the dollar. Tied to the dollar big time. We don't even think about it. That's how tied to the dollar we are. But if the world de-dollarizes, what does that do to people who are living in, in countries tied to the dollar? It scares the crap out of me. And if you are living in a nation that's tied to the American dollar, do you think that Saudi Arabia, Iran, um, Papua New Guinea, all of these places in the world are looking at Joe Biden and the trans agenda and saying, we can't wait for that to come here. Let's continue our dollarization. Or are they going, holy crap, these people are going nuts. Remember, these are not liberal societies where even in like places like Canada, the United States, conservatives would be way too liberal for most of the rest of the world. So if you're like this liberal person listening to this podcast and it's like, hmm, I wonder if things under Trump were better than under Biden. And you go, what? You mean a Nazi? Well, most of the world, I mean like 98% of the world thinks that Trump is probably too liberal. His his daughter's a Jew. <laughs> he married an immigrant. What? <laughs> That's way too liberal. Which just means that the um, liberal echo chamber is a thing. And I graduated from that. I was big into it. And then I left. And it was one of the best things I ever did. The other one was breaking up with somebody that you just could not stand anymore. A long time ago. But it's like... Oh, that person's gone from my life now? Why is my life so better? Oh, because they're not part of it anymore. And you're like, wow. Uh, don't get trapped up with uh, somebody too soon if you are unsure about their intentions for you. Go away. Get out. Get rid of them. So de-dollarization. Um, now, we're seeing inflation go up a lot in Japan. It's like 4.1% again. They say it's stemming, but cheese prices are going up by 30%. And for a while, we were saying, well, it's because of Putin. And you're like, oh, what? <laughs> yeah, the Donbass. All that grain means we can't feed anything. And now everything's more expensive. And you're like, okay, sure. But surely there's other grain-producing regions in the world, and we just buy from now, and everything goes back to normal. And then everybody's like, no, everything's just more expensive now, and that's the way it is. It was a conspiracy theory. Then it was transitory. And then it was non-permanent, and then it was Putin's fault, and now it's just, suck it up, buttercup, you're dealing with inflation. So I think that a lot of the inflation is stemming from de-dollarization and China. We all know that China wants to become the number one country in the world, and one way to do that is to stall your competitors from getting what they want. The average um, annual wage in Beijing has recently reached something like 25000 U.S. dollars a year. That's comparable to a lot of places in the world. Furthermore, um, in, the, in, the, in the year 2000, most of the world was de dealing directly with the United States for their trade. 2020, most of the world, including South America, Africa, a lot of Asia, 
is now dealing with China for their trade. So China has become a manufacturing um, center, a trade center, increasingly a political center with, uh, you know, Macron recently going into, into Beijing and uh, Beijing uh, reconciling Iran and Saudi Arabia, Russia and Beijing getting tied together. So we're seeing this giant shift to China. And like, as I was saying before, I'm not sure if these cocoa or cocoa producing regions in the world, like in uh, sub-Saharan Africa, the Cote d'Ivoire and those areas, maybe China's coming in. This is just a theory. China's coming in and saying, hey, let's trade. China's coming in and saying, hey, here's a bunch of Huawei 5G equipment. Give us preferential treatment on your cocoa beans. And they go, why not? And then China says, hey, we're not going to come in here with this trans stuff and this eco stuff. Uh, and then they go, yeah, we hate that. So then they say, okay, why don't, hey, Cote d'Ivoire, we're China. Just here's the telecom equipment. Give us the cocoa because we have a bunch of rich people now who want chocolate. And I'm like, okay, sure. Why not? We don't have this long-term vision of uh, trans people coming in. I don't mind trans people, by the way, but a lot of these places do. They very much do. And they look at like they look at everything. And they say that's just probably the future that's going on over there. It's all trans. Um so the other point is the echo stuff, the the eco stuff. All you have to shut down all your power and get solar panels and windmills and stuff like that. But for a, a very poor country, they maybe can't afford that. And China says we don't care about that. Here's the telecom equipment. Just give us the cocoa beans. They say, sure. And then, and then Cote d'Ivoire might even say, this is just speculation on my part. Cote d'Ivoire might even say, we have all this excess cocoa beans. Do you, should we sell it back to America? And China goes, no, 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 just shut down those farms. Stop selling to those other places as much. Sell as much to us as possible and then just don't sell to the other. I'm not, I'm pretty sure that's not happening now that I say it, but if you are a place like Japan and suddenly you find that, you know, the amount of cocoa beans you can get to make chocolate products is going way down or the price is going way up because you're getting, you know, interfered with, that could be a thing. Another thing that's been happening to support this argument was, you know, 50, 60 years ago, Japan had some of the most advanced technologies in the world for an Asian country. And they could go out and they could fish as much as they wanted and their boats were faster, could go deeper and da 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 and catch all the fish they wanted. But recently, you know, countries like Taiwan or China have these giant fishing fleets that go out as well. And they're a little bit more south than, than, than Japan. So they can go and get the fish that are coming up in their migratory routes. Do you call fish migratory and migratory routes and get them first? Now, a lot of news articles will say, well, climate change means our catches are going down. And then but halfway through the article, they'll say, yes, and as well as Taiwan's fishing and, and, and China's fishing fleets are, are, are able to go out and catch more and more fish now. Okay, so you have increased competition for a limited quantity of catch with the case of salary fish and, or sama fishes. And to tie that into the, um, into the China trade thing, well, the, the resources are also being competed with by a country that's able to compete compete on that international level. Now, why wouldn't China do that? Why wouldn't China do that? Why wouldn't they do that? They would do that. That's the answer. They would do that. And a lot of the world now is looking to de-dollarize. Um, and that's going to affect 
the inflation that's going to affect our economic prosperity in countries like Japan and Canada and so on that don't have a way to fight it. I mean, how can you? What, what are you going to say? Hey, we want an international rules-based order. Like, we, we're just trying, we're, we're poor as shit and we're trying to sell our cocoa beans. And China wants to take that. And we get all this telecommunications equipment. You're offering us trans people and solar panels. We can't use that. They will say, oh, yes, yes. Uh, but as well, you give us some subsidies. I was in free money. So this comes to us from uh, uh, thecradle.com and the thecradle.co. And I just found this one because it's just a variety of sources for the podcast. ASEAN nations meet, discuss dumping U.S. dollar, euro for trade. Indonesia has urged its regional partners to also move away from using Visa and MasterCard to avoid repercussions of Western sanctions on Russia. So remember the Russia, the ruble was going to be turned to rubble? No, everyone's kind of going, we're sick of America and the EU going batshit crazy all the time. We need stability and we don't care about the Donbass as much as you do. (laughs) Finance ministers and central bank governors from the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, ASEAN, this week discussed dropping the US dollar, euro, yen, and British pound from financial transactions and instead moving to settlements in local currencies. I predict hyper-localization in the future, by the way. ASEAN, which is why we need um, more microservices in our podcasting um, stuff, Squarespace. Everybody harass Squarespace. Tell them we need these things. ASEAN includes Brunei, Cambodia, Indonesia, Laos, Malaysia, Myanmar, the Philippines, Singapore, Thailand, and Vietnam. According to IMF figures, the combined nominal GDP of the bloc in 2023 amounts to approximately 3.9 trillion yen. The meeting, hosted by Indonesia, focused mainly on discussing ways to reduce dependence on Western currencies through the local currency transaction system. Um, An extension of a previous settlement system that has started to be implemented among ASEAN member states and which allowed trade to be conducted in local currencies. An agreement on a similar system was reached between Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, the Philippines, and Thailand last November. Indonesian President Joko Widodo has also urged his ASEAN partners to drop Western payment systems like Visa and MasterCard and start using locally developed systems, arguing that the region needs to shield itself from political and sorry possible geopolitical repercussions. Quote, be very careful. We must remember the sanctions imposed by the U.S. on Russia. Visa and MasterCard could be a problem, Widodo said during a local business gathering earlier this month. Last month, Russian tourists found themselves stranded in Bali with no way to pay for meals or accommodation or even get a flight home due to Western sanctions that locked out Russian banks from the SWIFT international payment system. When is this coming to us? This is March twenty. This is March 30th, 2023. Several nations in West Asia and North Africa have also started to move away from the greenback hegemony in recent months, like Iraq, you know, after 20 years of occupation, the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, Egypt and Saudi Arabia. The Bretton Woods Agreement, Saudi Arabia, to exchange oil with dollars, now is falling apart. You don't hear about that, though, do you? You still hear about Trump is being arrested. They're going to get him this time. 
It's the same thing over and over since 2015, and my panties are still getting wet thinking of them arresting Trump for being a bad man, orange man, bad. Meanwhile, you have this constant air being let out of the balloon of the U.S. dollar hegemony worldwide, and most media is silent about it. But this affects your current wealth, your future economic prosperity, and also for your kids and your family and all of that. It's just all going let out like a balloon and most people are like just going well trump's getting arrested <laughs> looks like we're gonna be the good guys no you're getting played all those people out there that think that are getting played and there's nothing much japan can do about this unfortunately there's there's very limited autonomy um internationally with japan what with what japan can do and I don't see a lot of people taking Japan super seriously as a future country because, you know, we can say, oh, China has 1.4 billion people, but their demographics have hit a wall and they're going to go down and down and down. Well, 1.4 billion people is still a lot of people. Meanwhile, Japan has 120 million and is projected to decrease to like 80 million over the next 30 to 50 years or something like that with fewer and fewer young people coming in. So why would you invest? What, what What is there to invest? Why would people go, we need Japan? With what? There are no people? The, the, the amount of people they can barely even cover for their own country? We'll, we'll, we'll immigrate to Japan. And what? Make less money now than what you could make back home and in a lot of other countries that are increasing their GDP? Doubt it. Doubt it very, very much. And I'm very, very much pro-Japanese. I like it here. But looking at long-term future economic opportunities compared to what's the, what else is going on in the world, uh-uh, it's looking not good. And here's another one that supports what I'm talking about right now. Yuan tops um, euro as Brazil's second currency in foreign reserves. And this isn't just say like, look what's happening. It's all crashing down. But the um, ball is perhaps being set in motion. BRICS, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, and, and, and so on and so on and so on. We'll see how long South Africa lasts in there. Maybe it'll just be an outpost like it always has been. Going inside of South Africa never seems like a good idea to me. The Chinese, this comes to us from Reuters, from Brasilia. The Chinese yuan has passed the euro to become the second most important currency in Brazilian foreign reserves, according to a central bank report on Friday, reflecting the deepening economic ties with Brazil's biggest trading partner. Until 2018, the yuan was absent from Brazil's foreign reserves. I will repeat that. Until 2018, the yuan was absent from Brazil's foreign reserves. One more time, until 2018, the yuan, the Chinese yuan, was absent from Brazil's foreign reserves and now accounts for 5.37% of Brazilian central bank holdings at the end of 2022, surpassing the euro's 4.74% share. Again, not that big, 
The dollar continues to dominate, comprising 80% of Brazil's total foreign reserves in 2022. Earlier this year, China and Brazil moved to reduce the dominance of the dollar by signing an agreement of setting up yuan clearinghouse arrangements that would facilitate bilateral trade and investment. Brazil is the main buyer of iron ore, soybeans, meat, sugar, and pulp exports from Brazil. In its annual report on reserves, the Brazilian Central Bank said there were no significant variations in the composition of the portfolio compared to the previous year, when it had sought to diversify its strategic allocations, including increased exposure to yuan and gold. Um, and you got some extra information in there. So it's not a major thing, but it's like, hey, it, well, it's bigger than the euro now. It's only 5%, still bigger than the euro. It, five years ago, there wasn't even any Chinese yuan in Brazil's stocks, in Brazil's uh, foreign currency reserves. Uh, and now they're clearing trade with yuan. Uh, again, it's this... They're not going to come after the dollar with a nuclear bomb. They're going to do the Chinese water torture, thousand cut salami slice thing where eventually you wake up one day and you're saying, to people instead of, hello, nice weather we're having today. Would you like to study English with me? Mm, I wonder. I think actually English will be the, the international language still. Um, it's the, one, it's the one language that has managed to remove itself from culture. Uh, you know, even in Japanese, like Ohio, gochisou sama deshita, itadakimasu, yoroshiku, onegaishimasu. It's so embedded, the language and the culture are almost the same thing, and most languages are like that. English is the one language, because of international trade, that managed to kind of if you go to Scotland or remote parts of England, then yeah, you can't get away from the culture and the language. But internationally, English is the only way to go, which means I still have career options here in Japan and AI will not be able to take that away from me, but I will be able to use AI in my hands to give me an edge over the competition. Just wait, you'll see, you will see. About a month ago, um, DJO was on the podcast talking about um, solfeggio frequencies. And these are audio experiences or tunings that make us feel a certain way. Um, just like a major chord or a minor chord or somebody singing pleasantly or aggressively it will affect us. That frequency is a major part of that. Um, so this is a short um, report from... A, from DJO, Ohio's Wayward Son, about um, frequencies and the reasons why we hear certain frequencies recorded more than others. Greetings, Matt, Japan Wet listeners. This is DJO, Ohio's Wayward Son, and I have a special update that I hope you're going to like. We touched very briefly my last time on the show on the so-called 440 conspiracy in music. Well, it turns out there could be a logical but somewhat greedy reason for this, but looking into this alerted me to a blind spot. So, A440 hertz, or A above middle C, has become known as the Stuttgart pitch, which comes from Germany and probably contributed to at least one of the conjectures around this topic. Orchestras around the world had always used different pitches because instruments and people are different, and climates where 
Instruments are manufactured and played are different. In fact, orchestras were using tuning pitches anywhere between 400 hertz and 470 hertz. The French were using 435 hertz since the 1860s. The British used 439 hertz. The U.S. informally adopted 440 hertz in 1926 and incorporated that into the American Standards Association, eventually becoming part of ISO 16. In 1939, the change to 440 hertz was recommended at a conference in London. Ideas that the Nazis were involved just don't bear out as much fun as that would be. As far as the industrialists, or maybe the greedy Rockefellers, Setting a standard like this would go a very long way towards selling American-made tuning forks, instruments, records, and sheet music around the world. The American manufacturing system was starting to take over. Another driving problem was a trend of pitch inflation. Orchestras competing with each other were tuning their instruments higher and higher. Cranking the tension on the tuning peg was easier than replacing the strings at that time, and this was creating problems for singers. The 8 hertz difference between 440 hertz and the 432 hertz heartbeat frequency on the Sofeggio scale is negligible. It's just a bit of static. However, tuning the middle A to 440 hertz is also said to make F sharp land on one of the Sofeggio frequencies, which could, in theory, be stacked with another targeted frequency to manipulate people, but that's a whole other show. The blind spot I mentioned earlier comes from an account told in one of the many biogeometry lecture videos I've watched on YouTube. In an attempt to spread healing music to the masses, seasoned musicians performed and recorded actual Sofeggio frequency-based music, put it on a master CD, and tested it, it was all good, but when they tried to make copies, all the frequencies are, were off, so they gave up. My takeaway for now is that those healing music selections you see on YouTube or Amazon and from the record shop are all suspect until I can figure out a quick, reliable way to verify them. Back to you, Matt. Have a great show and keep vibrating, brother. All right, I will vibrate as much as I can. That was this week's segment of Weird Corner with DJO. Weird Corner. You ever look into frequencies? It's it's one of those things where you realize it's all around us and there is insane market competition for them. It's, it's amazing. So there we go. DJO will be chiming in from time to time. Uh, we're going to finish off the podcast with some of this. Residents in Japan hit 3 million at end of 2022. This comes to us from gg.com, almost as bad as Sora News 24. 
The number of foreign residents in Japan at the end of 2022 rose 11.4% from a year before Sorry, to hit a record high of 3,075,213, the Immigration Services Industry said Friday. The number of foreign residents and technical trainees rose sharply following the easing of COVID-19 border measures. The total included 761,563 people from China, the largest group by nationality, 489,312 from Vietnam and 411,312 from South Korea. The figures all increased from a year earlier. By status of residence, the number of foreign students increased by 92,808, technical trainees by 48,817, and specialists in engineering, humanities, and international services by 37,221. The number of foreigners granted refugee status under the Immigration Control and Refugee Recognition Law increased by 128 to 202. Yeah, we accepted 100. And we accepted 202 refugees. The number of those who were not granted refugee status but were allowed to stay in Japan on humanitarian grounds increased by 1,180 to 1,760. Both totals were the highest on record since Japan established refugee recognition systems in 1982. So there's this idea where um, we'll finish with this. There's like 20% or fewer, I'm going off of the dome here, uh, of Japanese people who want, who approve of foreigners, you know, who have been, who with permanent residency status living, you know, living in Japan for a long time, getting the right to vote in local elections. And then I think like, well, I've been here 15 years. I should have the right to vote. You know, I'm a Canadian. I would be voting for very nice things. But then I'm also like, well, there's 10,000 Canadians in Japan versus, you know, 500,000 about from uh, China. No, 700,000, almost 750,000 Chinese, almost 500,000 Vietnamese, 400,000 South Koreans. I have no choice, no chance. I mean, if I get the right to vote, I would cast my vote for item A. But then, you know, I like living in Japan. I like it here um, for the most part. It has its problems. Da, 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 da. But I mean, what if, what if like a CCP party with Chinese people showed up? It's like, no, we're Chinese people living in Japan and we're going to do a CCP party. It's like, well, it's, if it's allowed by law, it's allowed by law. Do you want that? Would would all the Chinese people vote for a CCP party or most, or few? I mean, it's a Pandora's box. I can get why Japan is very, very xenophobic. It's it's a little island. It's a it has a giant economic zone, but it's like. Okay, so, you know, a CCP, they allow foreigners to vote, and then a CCP party comes, and then a, a million or two million more Chinese people try to move to Japan to spread the CCP politically. I mean, would you take that chance if you were Japanese? I'm not sure I would. I can understand the xenophobia to an extent. I mean, I wouldn't mind being able to vote on some local issues like should that park be closed or da 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 or well, hey, why don't we get rid of this 80-year-old xenophobe who hates everybody in office, you know? 
maybe that would be okay, but it's it's not just that. It's a it's a door. And I mean as we all know, like there's between foreigners, you don't, you, you have no idea what people think, you know, I mean, like how many, how many Americans living in Japan would, would join a CCP party? I don't know. Uh, would, would there be, would be, would the, would the Japanese government now be competing with like 90 international parties or, or would they say like, Oh, you can vote, but foreigners can only vote for, the two or three main parties, but then it just sounds like vote buying, which is probably anti-constitutional. So, um, I mean, good for Japan for hitting a record of 3 million uh, foreign residents out of a population of just under 120 million. (coughs) It's a lot more than it used to be. Um, But we can also see that uh, people like me, uh, native English speakers, are making up a a smaller and smaller piece of that pie, and it is what it is. I'm not saying it's a great thing, a bad thing, uh, whatever it is. It is what it is. Demographically speaking, that is what it is. And we will see where it goes. So thank you for listening. MatthewPMBigelow.com. You've been listening to the Japan What Podcast. Coming at you out of the back end of Tokyo. Shinjuku. Shinjuku-ku, the armpit of Asia. MatthewPMBigelow.com. Thank you for listening. Harass Squarespace. Download a podcasting 2.0 app and send us some sats. We need your Bitcoin like never before. Or simply go to the website, MatthewPMBigelow.com, to get some photos, references, and more. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Till next time. I'm actually going to just put in the beekeeper song at the end here, just in case somebody wants to listen to some music. I did all the music myself for this song. Thank you for listening, everybody. Small well birdie town, popular.
Breaking in the crowd Around your table 